The first group of civilian evacuees from Gaza cross into Egypt as Israel continues to target Hamas hotspots. So what happens next? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, new details have been released surrounding President Biden's meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping later this month. Plus, after going public in 2021, is WeWork preparing for bankruptcy? But first... Israel continuing to target Hamas hotspots, striking 11,000 terror hubs since the war started. Meanwhile, the first group of civilian evacuees from Gaza crossed into Egypt under a Qatar-mediated deal. This says Israeli forces bombed the Palestinian enclave from the air, sea, and land while pressing on with their offensive against Hamas militants. For more, we are joined by Jonathan Tobin, the editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on. So the Israel-Hamas war continues on, and it's just a few days shy of marking one month of the horrific conflict. So where do things stand now in this war? Well, um, Israel began its ground offensive uh, last weekend um, after a long wait, in part because of uh, its own need to be prepared and in part because of uh, U.S. pressure to slow down. But they're continuing methodically, um, seeking to uh, basically degrade and destroy all of Hamas's military capabilities. It's, it's a difficult job because Hamas is basically, it's like a tunnel city underneath the ground. Um, they're tunneled, you know, they, they use civilian targets, you know, their command and control centers are under hospitals and things like that. But they're, they're obviously making progress. They're going through northern Gaza. And, um, you know, I don't think this will be over soon, but it's clear that um, sooner or later, Israel is going to, you know, get what it wants, which is to basically make sure that Hamas can never repeat the atrocities of October 7th again. Now, we're hearing calls for a ceasefire from politicians to activists to celebrities. However, Israel has been fighting radical militants for years. Why has uh, the prime minister dug in and said that's not an option? Well, because if you if there's a ceasefire now, Hamas wins. They get away with it. They've committed, you know, they would have committed the largest mass slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust, unspeakable atrocities and still have retained their control of Gaza, their military capability. Israel is not going to let that happen. And to his credit, President Joe Biden is standing behind that as much as he's worried about you know, pressure from his left. Israel will not let Hamas win. I mean, that's, that's what they're counting on. The people who are calling for the ceasefire, some of them may be motivated by humanitarian concerns, but what they are essentially doing is being Hamas's useful idiots. Uh, this is exactly what Hamas wants. That's what they were counting on, that Israel would be pressured to let them get away with it. This time, it's not going to happen. Iranian-backed groups have now carried out 28 attacks on U.S. bases and troops in the Middle East. The Biden administration has responded with two strikes, but critics are calling for more action. What is the current risk to our own troops? 
Well, these attacks were ongoing. You know, actually, they were happening long before October 7th. Iran is basically, you know, been waging war, a low-level war against the West, certainly against the United States, you know, its entire time. And President Biden slowly came to the realization that his efforts to return to the appeasement policy of Barack Obama was not going to work and that the Iranians didn't care. They were not going to, you know, sign another weak nuclear deal, even if it would guarantee that they would eventually get a bomb. They feel they feel that they, you know, they felt that the United States was weak. They obviously, since they were up to their necks in planning the Hamas attack on Israel, they thought Israel was too weak to respond. And um, uh, so far, I think they've gotten a surprise by the United States's uh, willingness to move, uh, you know, carrier task forces to the region to now to start striking back. Um, their calculations, I think were wrong and I think they're uh, they're going they've only started to learn how wrong that they've been. You recently wrote about the worst incident of violence against American Jews that they experienced in their history. You said it has a new meaning now. Can you explain? Well, 5 years ago, um the uh, Pittsburgh synagogue massacre of the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh, 11 worshipers were killed by a, a sort of a lone you know, extremist, you know, uh, gunman. Um, his, you know, writings were, you know, incoherent. On the one hand, he was, you know, very right wing. On the other hand, he hated Donald Trump too, because he was so pro-Israel. And I think American Jewry knew how to respond to that attack because that attacker sort of came from a, a familiar, you know, threat, the, the extreme right wing. It was something that most Jews were inclined to think that's where anti-Semitism came from. The disconnect now, five years later, as we commemorated, uh, you know, that um, doleful anniversary, is that we are now undergoing the largest surge in anti-Semitic activity um, in this country in, in, in memory. And it's not coming from lone right-wing extremists. It's coming from a mass left-wing movement. It's motivated by hatred for Israel, by anti-Zionism, which is anti-Semitism. And um, it's manifested itself on the streets and in college campuses. And I think a lot of American Jews, the majority of whom are politically liberal, are very you know, disillusioned by this because a lot of their erstwhile left-wing allies have either been silent or are joining um, the voices of those who are you know, calling for what they say free Palestine, which is, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, that means no Israel. And the the way that this movement has manifested itself on the streets, tearing down posters of, of Israeli kidnapping victims, um, you know, abuse of uh, Jewish students, threaten, you know, threats. Um, it, it's, it's very disconcerting. And it's, um, you know, mass slaughter now means something different. After October 7th, we understood what happened uh, at the Tree of Life Synagogue and then later at Poway, California. You know, it was a, you know, it was a rare threat but uh, something that American Jewry kind of knew what to think about. Now that this horrible uh, Nazi-like slaughter of Jews carried out by Hamas, this war, and which instead of causing a backlash against Hamas, has engendered support around the world for their extremist and really genocidal uh, demands. And uh, I think American Jews have uh, been, you know, they're, they're kind of being scared straight about what left-wing anti-Semitism means in this country and why it's now replaced uh, sort of these lone right-wing gunmen as the real threat to, to the Jewish community. 
With about 30 seconds left, we heard FBI Director Christopher Wray testify on Capitol Hill about the threat of terror attacks against Americans that they've been raised here because of the ongoing conflict in the Middle East. How concerned do you think Americans should be? Well, they should understand that Iran and its allies, Hezbollah and Hamas, they hate America just as much as they hate Israel. Israel is closer to them, easier to strike. Um, I think it's a wake-up call to sort of to seal that uh, porous open border that Biden created in the in the South, and to start getting serious again about fighting Islamist terrorism, and not to mistake concern about that for Islamophobia, which we are you know we don't want prejudice against American Muslims, but we have to understand that these groups are a threat not just to Jews in Israel, but to America and the West as well. Jonathan Tobin, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. New details are being released surrounding President Biden's meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. The White House says an agreement in principle has been reached on a meeting later this month in San Francisco. U.S. President Joe Biden is set to meet China's Xi Jinping in San Francisco this month, according to the White House. A senior Biden official said that details of the meeting still need to be hammered out. However, it would be the latest in a flurry of diplomacy between the two superpowers, with the Israel-Hamas conflict adding a new dynamic to their testy relationship. Biden and Xi haven't met since last November at Indonesia's G20 summit in Bali, and Biden has yet to host the Chinese leader on U.S. soil since he took office. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre confirmed they aim to meet in San Francisco on the sidelines of the upcoming APEC summit. The president said he's looking forward uh, to meeting, uh, to meeting uh, with President Xi. It's going to be a constructive meeting. Jean-Pierre was also asked whether the U.S. has considered any gestures to help make top-level meetings with Beijing more frequent. We've been very clear. Our policy uh, and how we move forward with China hasn't changed. Uh, this is intense competition, right, that we have said that we want to uh, to move forward with, with China. We understand that. And intense competition means uh, intense diplomacy. That's what you're going to see. U.S. officials have told Reuters they view the potential sit-down as essential to help ease tension between the two countries on further issues, including Taiwan and a Chinese military buildup in the South China Sea. WeWork shares tanked nearly 50% to a record low following media reports that the flexible workspace provider is planning to file for bankruptcy as early as next week. The New York-based firm is struggling with a heavy debt load and hefty losses. WeWork is set to file for bankruptcy as soon as next week. That's according to a Reuters source. The office sharing company has been struggling with big losses and a massive pile of debt. Now bankruptcy would mark an astonishing fall from grace. Back in 2019, it was valued at $47 billion. But WeWork has been in turmoil ever since its plans to go public imploded that same year. Investors had grown sceptical over its business model, which sees it take long-term leases on buildings and then rent out the space short-term. Its mounting losses also triggered alarm. So too did the erratic management style of now-departed founder Adam Newman, though it did finally go public in 2021 at a much-reduced valuation. Bankruptcy would also be a big black mark for WeWork's main backer, 
the giant Japanese investment firm SoftBank. It has ploughed billions into WeWork in a bid to turn things around, only to see the losses keep piling up. Shares in WeWork fell 32% in extended US trade Tuesday after news of the possible filing was first reported by the Wall Street Journal. The stock is down about 96% this year. WeWork had no comment on the latest news reports. Thanks so much for watching in America Today. I'm Veronica Dudo. For more, head to tickernews.co. I'll see you soon. More right after this.